Welcome back. It is a new year. January 10th is the release date of this guy, second one of the year. I recorded this one uh, a couple months back with the Meat Mafia guys and had to reshuffle just to get different people up in, in their slots, slotting. Uh, it's not an oldie, but it is a goodie. And uh, I love this background of these guys from Meat Mafia. They're doing some really cool shit. They are innovating in a way that I, that I really appreciate. And they're coming from pretty personal background stories in health and wellness that really resonated with me. When I think of the greats like Rob Wolf and Paul Check and Mark Sisson, people that I really look up to in this health and wellness space, uh, they started with similar background stories, you know, where they had some fucking incurable disease and it was usually brought on through taking everyone else's recommendations and eating the wrong shit and not finding the right medication because it doesn't exist. And uh, just hearing how low life got for Brett was pretty, pretty incredible. Um, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Well, I'm not going to give that away. Um, these guys have success stories to share and uh, through, through health and wellness and through what I would call modern carnivore and really have just done really awesome things. So I had a blast with them, had them at the farm, showed them what I was into. They're big in the regenerative game as any meat eater is or should be. So we had a lot in common and absolutely love their company, Noble. They're, they have phenomenal, phenomenal protein products. So Check that out. Highly recommend it. Uh, remember to peep the show notes. Show notes are where you can find everything on this podcast. If I mention a book, it's in the show notes with a link. If I mention a documentary, it's in the show notes. Uh, I know one we're going to talk about because it's, it's um, how do you say, apropos? Is that, is that, is that right? Uh, would be Sacred Cow from Diana Rogers, who I've had on the podcast along with Rob Wolf. And uh, their documentary is great. If you've only got an hour, highly recommend you get the book. It just dives so much deeper into some of the, the, the content of this podcast and expands upon it, particularly around cell-based meat, veganism, and all sorts of, you know, just modern-day bullshit. You know, it really debunks a lot of that and gets into the science of what meat actually does for you. And uh, the podcast I did with Diana Rogers was great, too. We'll link to that in the show notes because she really deep-dived the science on, you know, in areas in Africa where kids cannot afford to have meat versus some of the kids that do, I think the great on all levels, scholastically, as well as, as well as athletically, there's a 40% increase in the meat eaters in, in, in a positive way, both. I don't know how they measure that athletically. I don't know if they're 40% faster than them or stronger than them, but 40% better grades across the board. That's a fucking big deal. Um, and this is the shit you're not going to get from mainstream media, from people that are trying to push you towards eating crickets and shit like that. So uh, do your homework on this. Let's make this year the best year ever. And let's make it a sovereign and free year. And what that starts with is each of one of us as individuals becoming the healthiest, best version of ourselves we can be. Last year, I uh, really wanted to focus on being a better athlete. That meant losing some muscle, losing some strength, focusing less on the weights, getting back into MMA. Uh, not as a professional career. I certainly don't want to get paid peanuts from the UFC like I did in the past. That that ship has sailed. Um, but training more like that, boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu. I uh, found some really great people to train with, really phenomenal coaches here in Austin. And um, running a bit more, rucking, doing more of the tactical stuff has been great. So I'm excited for that. And uh, that's panned out. Uh, another way to support this podcast is buy from these sponsors. They are hand-selected. We have some fucking awesome ones. 
And I talked about these guys a bit last week on the solo cast because when I had Catherine Arnston on the podcast, she changed the game. She changed the game for me. I had purposely not tried any of the algae uh, until I had her on the podcast because I wanted to know what I was getting into. So if you missed that one, listen to it for sure. But we're talking about energy bits. And it is, it is, there's, there's very few things I can compare it to that, that translate in the way that this does. But mental health is essential, but protecting it has been elusive. This all changed thanks to Dr. Chris Palmer's new book, Brain Energy, where he shows why all mental health disorders are a result of damaged mitochondria. Mental health requires you to heal and restore your mitochondria. And I agree. That's why I wanted you to know about energy bits. Their algae tablets contain nutrients like superoxide dismutase, phycocyanin, and glutathione that are proven to heal, restore, and protect the mitochondria. Yes, even in the brain. The science about this is provocative and plentiful, but algae's role in restoring mitochondria has been virtually unknown until now. And I didn't fucking know about it either. Energy Bits founder Catherine Arnston has spent 13 years researching algae, and she recently made a startling discovery. Science and nature have conspired to protect your brain and mitochondria with the oldest life on earth, algae. Amazingly, mitochondria even evolved from algae, but that's another story. It's documented in evolutionary science called endosymbiotic theory. Link in the show notes for that one. Bottom line, mitochondria are essential for your mental health and Energy Bits algae tablets help you achieve it. You can purchase Energy Bits algae tablets online at www.energybits.com. And if you use my discount code KKP, you get 20% off everything. And that's a no-brainer. And check out KKP episode 330 with Catherine Arnston to learn all about energy Brits. And I'll just add here, a lot of people advertise like when you're really tired, you don't want to go for that second cup of coffee. I, and I oftentimes think that's bullshit. It just doesn't work. I need, I'd rather have the second cup of coffee. Since starting this, if I get tired in the afternoon and I take energy bits, I'm fucking game on. And, and don't take my word for it. Try it. And another thing that I've noticed about energy bits is typically if I want to increase cognitive blast. Caffeine and stimulants do a great job of that, but at the cost of my cardio, at the cost of HRV, at the cost of my ability to exercise well and perform well in sport. This is the opposite of that. This gives me the brain boost that I'm looking for and at the same time extends my power meter when I'm talking about sports like running, jujitsu, boxing, kickboxing, even weightlifting. I get more output for the brain, the kind of energy that I want, raw computing power alongside better endurance. It's fucking bananas, but everything she's saying is true about the mitochondria. Check it out. Don't take my word for it. Energybits.com and use discount code KKP at checkout for 20% off. We're also brought to you today by the homies at Buy Optimizers. Go to buyoptimizers.com slash Kingsboo now and enter promo code KINGSBU10 to get 10% off any order. January is here. Can you believe it? How are you doing with your New Year's resolutions? Mine was pretty easy to focus on my well-being. So last year I had be a better athlete, and now it's well-being. As we all know, the foundation of well-being is a good night's sleep. So if I could do just one thing to improve my sleep and overall well-being, it is taking the number one mineral for all that, which also helps me personally on so many levels I can't even fully describe it. Yes, I'm talking about magnesium. Actually, I'm talking about magnesium breakthrough by Bioptimizers. The seven different forms of magnesium in this supplement are involved in over 300 enzymatic reactions in the body. Pretty much every function in your body gets upgraded when you take magnesium, from the quality of your sleep to your brain function, from metabolism to stress levels, and let's face it, even if your 2024 resolution is not to focus on your health, as it is mine, 
How are you going to be able to achieve all your goals without quality sleep and stress management support? Really? So do yourself a favor and make Magnesium Breakthrough part of your daily routine this year so you can get the vitality you need to conquer your dreams. Go to bioptimizers.com slash kingsboo now and enter promo code KINGSBOO10 in all caps, K-I-N-G-S-B-U-1-0 to get 10% off any order. Again, that's bioptimizers.com slash kingsboo. We're also brought to you today by Caldera and the Lab. The regimen plus icon is going down. First impressions matter. There are no two ways about it. What's the first thing that someone notices about you? In most cases, it's your face and more importantly, your skin. If you aren't already, it's time you put your best face forward. How do you do that? By adding a skincare routine. And you know what? It's not hard. You just don't have the right tools until now. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare and is here to save the day. Use our exclusive code KKP at calderalab.com slash KKP to enjoy 20% off their best products. The skincare world is heavily female-driven and has long been the wild, wild west for men. Whether men can find the right brand or simply lack knowledge and understanding of it, skincare is something that requires attention. Caldera Lab creates high-performance men's skincare products, and the regimen leads off their product lineup, a twice-a-day routine to transform your skin. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and sides of aging, men's skincare has never been easier with Caldera Lab and the regimen. Luckily, inside this bundle, you'll find your skincare dream team, the clean slate, the base layer, and the good. The clean slate starts an injured day. This face wash leaves all skin types feeling refreshed. The base layer is your daily moisturizer to hydrate your skin and jumpstart your day full of confidence. The Good is your go-to multifunctional serum at night that helps your skin look tighter and smoother as well as helps reduce the visibility of wrinkles and fine lines. Every drop of this serum is packed with 3.4 million antioxidant units protecting your skin. The, I just got to say here, The Good is really ridiculous. It's something that, that <laughs> the first time I took it, I was rubbing it in. I shaved my head, as y'all know, the lovely bald head. And there's a lot of skin there too. And that skin gets worked over from the Texas sun like nothing else. My skin's not used to that. I shouldn't be bald, so they say. And, and, and if I'm not wearing a hat in the summertime, my head gets its ass kicked. And I rub the serum on after I shave my head and face. And everything feels and looks better. It also smells incredible. Like I'm attracted to it. I'm attracted to myself when I put it on. I'm not a, I'm not a foo-foo-y, you know, kind of fucking perfume, that kind of guy. And sorry if you are, no, no, as long as you smell good and you're doing it right, you know, Axe Body Spray, get that shit out of here. But the good smells incredible. Like, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'd fuck me. This is good. They even have an eye serum called the Icon. It addresses three most common skin concerns around the eye, fine lines, dark circles, and puffiness. Caldera Lab is made with top tier ingredients and is a great addition to your daily routine. Takes less than a minute, morning and night, and here to reduce your wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging. All right, get 20% off with our code KKP at calderalab.com slash KKP. That's 20% off at calderalab.com slash KKP by using code KKP. Jump into skin and first impression royalty with Caldera Lab. Last but not least, we have an amazing product from www.curednutrition.com slash KKP. Just remember to use coupon code KKP to embrace a state of relaxation and balance. For the mindful mother parent, or partner. As a dad, our days are filled with joy, challenges, and countless moments of connection. And it's fucking hard. Sometimes chaos can feel unavoidable. And in those moments, maintaining our own peace and well-being are crucial. So this message 
is for all the mindful mothers, parents, partners, dads out there seeking a natural path to tranquility and presence. Cured Nutrition understands the unique stressors we face every day, and that's why they created their Serenity Gummies, your go-to ally in managing the complexities of motherhood, fatherhood, parenthood, relationships, any of it with ease. These gummies aren't just a treat. They're a blend of science-backed health-supporting ingredients like full-spectrum cannabinoids, ashwagandha, reishi mushrooms, and L-theanine. Each ingredient is chosen for its ability to support your physical, mental, and emotional sense of calm. Imagine unwinding from the day's hustle with a natural alternative to alcohol, helping you to improve your presence, mindfulness, and overall well-being. These gummies are also free from artificial flavors, sugars, or dyes. There's no bullshit, I promise, so you can feel good about feeling good. I love the passion fruit clementine flavor. It's sweet with earthy undertones, plus each gummy is precisely dosed to guide me to my happy place. Cure Nutrition is offering an exclusive 20% off discount just for my listeners when you purchase Serenity Gummies. Visit www.curednutrition.com KKP and use the coupon code KKP at checkout. That's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com KKP. Coupon code KKP to embrace a state of relaxation and balance. Remember, protecting your peace is just one gummy away. Take a moment for yourself and find serenity in the midst of life's whirlwind moments because you, as a mother, a father, a parent, a partner, deserve to support your well-being. That's a hell of a read, y'all. I love this shit. I mean, let me just tell you right now, serenity gummies are a fucking game changer. It's something you'll take and you go, holy moly, that's legal? They can send me that in the mail? Wow. I'm telling you right now, this is, this is an absolute game changer. It is a plant medicine. It is absolutely a plant medicine. And I mean that on all levels. It is euphoric, relaxing. It's all the things they say. It helps me to tune in and find not only my calm, but remember where my center is as the... the, the <laughs> As the waves of the day get rocky, I can still find my center and stay calm, collected, and in the governor role as a dad. And, uh, you know, there's no shortage of life's curveballs, but I can see them. Everything slows down a little bit. I can see the curveball coming at me. I can see the change-up pitch, and I just say, all right, I got this one. This stuff is awesome. You have to try it for yourself. Uh, I, I am very, very juiced up about all of our fucking products here, but please give this one a try. Give all of them a try, but certainly give CureNutrition.com Serenity Gummies a try because it is, it's something that you will be blown the fuck away by. And, you know, feeling is believing. So don't take my word for that as well. Feeling is believing. Check this one out. Check all of them out. Everything's in the show notes. I love you guys. We're rocking and rolling. Meet Mafia. Welcome to the podcast. Ready to fucking go, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> Always. Did you throw one of the big boys in? Yeah, I got you. The big kahunas. We had a, um, it's been four or five months since I podcasted outside here at the farm. Wow. But it was great. I had Jason Picard like right outside that barn. You want one? I'm all set. And um, don't want to turn you inside out 20 minutes in. <laughs> Harry's just going to pick yeah, me I'll up just like this. <laughs> levitating, start channeling the next uh, 100 years. Um, yeah, it was great. And we had just rotated the cows and the sheep there. So they're fucking, you just hear like like every 30 seconds, just meh, going yeah. on. I'm like, well, I'm not sure it's going to land with the audience, but it is the setting, you know? It's nice and relaxing. I mean, yeah. if you're listening to that, it's, it's a I mean, when it's, when it's not windy, it, the mornings in Lockhart are fucking next level, especially in the spring and the fall. 
Like it's, it's something for sure. There's something about getting out here because we lived out in Bastrop for like four months and just getting away from the city and being able to dial back uh, like away from the noise pollution and sound pollution or sorry, noise pollution and light pollution uh, that I think affects you when you're in the city and you don't really realize it. It was insane. Like I was sleeping like a baby. Yeah, it's constant. It's constant until you're not in it and then you're like, oh, yeah. Like and you recognize that camping, but it's also like, like Bastrop's still a city. Lockhart's still a city. But it's not a big city. So yeah. the second you get out of the big city, you're like, this is palpable too. Yeah. I got a buddy, uh, ETG, that I worked with in product development on it, who, is, who bought a house in Bastrop. And there's fucking pine trees everywhere. I'm like, this feels like Tahoe. This doesn't feel like Texas. This is a totally <laughs> different scene here, you know? It, it's incredible. Some, also, some of our favorite podcasts have come from doing episodes out on the ranches too. Whether, it's, whether it was our first time recording with you out here, which was super special last summer, went out to White Oak Pastures, Will Harris, Austin Dillon, Counterculture Ranch. There's something so cool about actually being out on the property and just seeing all the effort that you've poured into the space. It just leads to such a cool conversation. They're, they're, yeah, they're two of the best, too. You know, Will's guy I've wanted to head on for a while and, and talking with our homie Paul Saladino, you know, who was a, was a frequent there for a while. And then... Uh, Austin's been great. Counterculture Farms, that's who we get our sheep from. I want to grab some some goats from them, even though they can be a little ornery. I think it'd be fun to, you know, kids go in the, into the nine acres and be like, all right, head on a swivel. The billies are looking out. You got to look yeah, out for yeah. somebody's <laughs> going to come cramming you. But um, I, I don't, yeah, I mean, they're, they're still, they're not giants either, right? They're like totally. perfect for Texas. So they're going to be smaller and, you know, no shots for 15 generations, mm-hmm. like the cleanest of the cleanest kind of meat you could ever get your hands on. But yeah, we love his, his sheep have been fucking amazing here. And uh, it'd be cool to get his goats. Well, listen, this podcast, I always try to get, you know, background. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's different with a couple guys, but we'll keep it the exact same. Take us through, walk us through individually what brought you to becoming you. You know, you guys have, have had a really, I was telling Brett the other day, like you guys have had a fucking pretty cool rise, pretty rapid rise, you know, in following. And obviously the time is right for it. It's ripe for it. Mm. Um, later on in this podcast, we'll talk about this, this ridiculous post on cell-based meat. That got sent to me, and uh, we'll deep we'll deep dive that in the current state it. of affairs. So it's like the people want to know about meat, you know. But but tell tell us about you know how you got to here, and then we'll dive into the rise of Meat Mafia and, and uh, what you guys got going on today. Totally, yeah. Well, I, th- I think for both of us too, it's like we'll tell the indiv- individual stories, but everything that we're doing with Mafia is really like an extension of Harry and I's just friendship and brotherhood. And it's just been so much fun. And, you know, we, we started off, we played college baseball together. Uh, we went to Babson college, which is a small little D three business school up in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and I think for myself, I just justified everything that I was doing under the lens of I'm an athlete, therefore I'm inherently healthy. So pre-workouts, calories in calories out, eating out a ton of food, just not really being mindful of any of the inputs that I was putting into my body, just because I was playing sports at such a high level. And so everything changed for me when I was around 21 years old. So I was going into my senior year of college and I was interning uh, at a sales job in New York City and I was living in New Jersey at the time with my parents. So I would take a two-hour train ride into the city and then a two-hour train ride back. And I started noticing at the beginning of the summer, I was feeling like this discomfort in my stomach and I was feeling like this urgency to have to go to the bathroom. I didn't really think anything of it. I'm like, I'm sure it'll probably just go away on its own. And then that urge started getting stronger and stronger. I started developing blood in my stool, more frequency to go to the bathroom. And I was kind of like wilting away over this, this, the course of about three months. So by the end of that summer, I was literally shitting blood, like no joke, like 20 to 30 times a day. I lost 30 pounds. It got so bad that 
I got rushed to the hospital like the last day of my internship. And then I got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. So for anyone that doesn't know, ulcerative colitis, it's an incurable autoimmune disease where essentially your colon just gets so inflamed either from stress, genetics, diet and lifestyle inputs. I think for me, it was probably a combination of all of those things. And um, my doctor immediately put me on these really heavy biologic drugs and then also some oral steroids too. Like prednisone, pretty high dose. Yeah, high, I think I was on like 40 milligrams of prednisone or something like that just to try and get some of that initial inflammation out. And then I went on this biologic drug called Remicade where it gets administered via um, a blood infusion every eight weeks. And I was told that you need to be on this for the rest of your life. I guess there's a, there's a risk that if you go on those drugs, you eventually will develop immunity to it if you stop taking it. So you have to just continue to take it. And so for me, you know, 21, 22 years old, I'm on these really heavy drugs. I'm, I'm told I have this incurable disease and everything for me changed when I was about 23 years old. And the reason why I say that is that I was living on my own in New York. I started, I was living with a buddy that was big into bodybuilding. So he was very big into cooking his own meals. And I noticed anecdotally that, Hey, when I cook my meals and I eat like chicken or steak or fish, I feel my stomach feels good, but I didn't think anything about it beyond that. I then see Sean Baker go on Rogan's podcast in 2019. He was the first person that I ever publicly talked about this concept of a carnivore diet. I know you did it. You had great success with it, you know, eating all animal products. And he was the one that really blew my mind of not only are these products, some of the most nutrient dense foods, they're also the most bioavailable foods that you can eat. And then the kicker for me was that he also mentioned that patients that had Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, IBS, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis, any of these autoimmune diseases were effectively curing themselves of an uncurable disease. So for me, I'm like, well, I'm 23, 24. I don't want to be on these drugs the rest of my life. Why would I not just give it a shot? You know, there's no harm in just trying something for a week. So I went to Whole Foods on the Upper East Side. I loaded up on a ton of beef, chicken, fish, eggs, butter. Um, I wasn't into tallow at the time, but I was like, let me just try this. So I cook all my meals for a week. I eat all animal products. I'm not kidding you. Literally within the first seven days, I went down going to the bathroom like to one to two times a day, which for me was a game changer because my it's it's embarrassing for a young dude to admit, but like my, your life revolves around like, where is the closest bathroom? Like, is there a Starbucks where I could punch the code in because I'm going to literally shit myself and like shit blood. So my stomach got better. My skin got better. I was putting on more muscle at the gym. And I was like, more importantly, I was just popping out of bed with this like vitality and like lust for life that I had never felt before. So flash forward now, you know, I've been primarily animal-based for the last three to four years. Um, I got a colonoscopy about two years ago and I made the decision. I was like, my stomach feels so good. I don't think I need to be on these drugs anymore. I had read some stories on Reddit of people that had gotten off these drugs. And I was like, why not? Why can't I be the same exact way? So my doctor's like, I'm interested in it, but let me just like take a look at what's going on inside and then I'll make the determination. So he goes in for the colonoscopy and he goes, not only is there no inflammation, there's no microinflammation. And to my knowledge, I'm the only patient that he's ever gotten off of these drugs before. And so since that time, you know, Harry and I have just kind of gone on this journey of fixing the food that you put into your body, but then also going down the path of regenerative agriculture, learning about ranching, learning about farming. And that was part of our inspiration for launching the brand is like, you know, we're not nutritionists. We don't have MDs. We don't have, you know, CSCXs in uh, exercise science, but we've put in the 10,000 hours to kind of like holistically cure ourselves and reclaim this health and vitality. And one of the biggest things that we're amazed at with the podcast, which Harry will get into, is just 
how many, we've literally heard from hundreds if not thousands of people that also have autoimmune diseases or type two diabetes that are literally putting these things into remission and curing themselves just by the food that they put into their system. So we're very inspired by, no one taught this to us growing up, but imagine if you're a young person and you're able to learn these dietary principles, like your kids is a perfect example, you know, where could they be that, that by the time that, that they're our age? So that's really get what gets us excited, but it was our own personal experiences that kind of gave us that inspiration to start putting out content, creating the podcast, starting Noble and doing everything that we're doing now. Yeah. I mean, Brett's story is always the one that carries the most weight, like healing your gut from something that's actually debilitating you like socially and, and all that is like incredible. And I always feel like I come in with a story that's like a little bit more of like the common man story. <laughs> so, shitting blood. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, but, unfortunately, autoimmune disease is the fucking common man yeah. story. Yeah. Now, you know, it's starting it really to come, is. It's crazy. Yeah, I think it's 20 million people in the U.S. have autoimmune diseases that didn't exist 100 years ago. And I feel like a lot of people are so embarrassed about it that they're not even necessarily like, um, like people who are like have IBS or whatever, they don't even really know it or like claim it because they're just like embarrassed about it. But um, yeah, so as Brett mentioned, both of us played baseball, um, both lifelong athletes. And for me, when we had met at Babson, you know, I was the kind of guy who had experimented with the paleo diet my freshman year. I was kind of like the guy who was taking his health very seriously. Um, mostly through just encountering people like Tim Ferriss and just these guys who were kind of experimenting with themselves. And I was curious. I had been like, working out at a gym that was a very high performance gym in high school. So I was exposed to pretty elite level information when it came to the performance side of things. So the gym that I went to was under the school of uh, Eric Cressy, who's a huge guy in the baseball world. So it was very functional. A lot of the applications that he was talking about was um, just some of the cutting edge stuff when it came to baseball training. And so I was exposed to that on the performance side, but a lot of the dietary stuff, I was just doing self-experimentation and that really started in college. And then when I graduated, just got away from being an athlete, was just quickly wrapped up in the desk job world and wasn't really focusing on being an athlete and taking care of myself in the same way. Like I would, if I was being honest with myself was going to the gym without any real purpose and like, you know, would just go bench or like, go, you know, go get like a light jog in. And it it was really just, um, kind of just trying to like keep up and, and not really, um, focusing on it in the way that I was doing before. And so, you know, quickly, like four, four or five years into my job, I'm looking at myself, I'm like, just not feeling, I'm like 25, 26, just not feeling the same, um, you know, slowly starting to see that athletic build just like windle away. And, uh, that was right around when Brett and I started to get into endurance sports. And so I think that was kind of the catalyst for me to start, um, really getting back into the health space and, uh, you know, ran a few marathons and then, you know, was still kind of early on this journey of like reclaiming, uh, my athletic side and then COVID hit and, um, went from commuting an hour each way on the bus in Boston to just being at home, being able to work remotely. So I got those two hours back. I was like, all right, how am I going to like make the most of this? Like we're locked down. I've got to, I got to figure out a way to just like really like make the most of this time. Like I, I looked at it as an opportunity to improve myself. So I was prioritizing sleep, trying to cook all my meals, trying to find places where I could, one of the things I challenged myself with was just cook one new recipe a week and cook all my meals. So I just, I got like in the best shape of my life in six weeks, like was fully committed to it. And after that, it was just light bulb moment. Like, all right, like I'm back 
and that was really a, a, a huge catalyst for me in terms of just building momentum in my in my life because after that I was then starting to address other problems in my life which was like this job that I was in that was putting me in a position where I couldn't prioritize my health I was working longer hours I wasn't fulfilled in the work it wasn't my calling and so getting that dialing in my health was really this upstream event that led to all the positive things that we're doing now. So I ended up uh, applying for some new jobs, was working on uh, potentially going to a similar job at one point uh, in the investment world, and then ultimately ended up connecting with a guy down here in Austin who has started a few companies and one of which is Kettle on Fire. And I was like, man, if I can get this guy's attention, I was applying for a chief of staff role and I was like, got his attention. He emailed me back after I applied my resume I was like, if I got his attention, odds are that is like, that's a little bit of hope that if I go down there and like fully commit myself to being in the health and wellness space, like I can figure out some way forward. So this was right around the time when Brett and I were um, trying to figure out what we were going to do with Ironman stuff. We moved down here in October uh, 2021 to run the Waco Ironman. And I was working on this partnership idea with um, the founder of Kettle on Fire, Justin Maris. And it was really just like, you know, kind of entertaining the idea of working together. And then once Brett and I really dug into the health stuff, this shared mission that we, we had living, we were living together under the same roof, uh, Airbnb and together for a month, just having great conversations, cooking steaks, um, and sharing our thoughts on like where we were going with life. Like once we spent kind of 30 days under the same roof and then we ran that race, the Waco Ironman together, I was just like, man, we need to we need to figure out how we can work together. So at one point we were talking about like selling cups just as a way to get him yeah. out of his job. Uh, Cause he was working full time. We're like, I was like, dude, if we can sell a thousand dollars worth of cups, then you have to quit your job. Like we, shaker it, cups? Like, no, no, cups. Like, like, like one of those like Amazon drop shipping yeah, businesses. Yeah. And we had read like, Oh, like you could sell cups for like a premium or something yeah. like that. <laughs> so, so I was like, I was basically just like, I need to like, figure out a way to convince Brett to quit his job so we can work on something together. Cause I didn't have, I was at the time just like trying to figure out what my next step was. It wasn't fully clear. Like I was working on this thing with Justin, but I wanted to work with Brett. He was working his full-time job. So I was just like, how can I, how can we do this? I, I remember just being like, if you sell a thousand dollars worth, of if we sell a thousand dollars worth of cups, you quit your job. And then we work on something that's actually not selling cups was the idea. But yeah. Um, and what we landed on was that we were we we were two guys that had this shared mission, and we were like, we just need to get if we just get our content, and our perspective out into the universe, and if people deem that that content is credible and people like it, then we know that we can figure out whatever we need to do. So our thing was, okay, if you look back through history, there's like a handful of these amazing stories that kind of tell us why the food system is as fucked as it currently is. I, this is I wanted to dive right into this, and I don't mean to cut you <laughs> yeah, off. Yeah, but yeah, like, I, I, I probably yeah. implore you. I always, and at the end of every podcast, is like, here's where you can find out more. Here's the website. Here's the social. And I'm not poo pooing on that, but I'm just, I'm just want to highlight that you guys are my favorite followers on Twitter. And that's like really what like turned <laughs> was, I was like, God, these guys fucking know the history. They're laying it all out piece by piece. Like some of your fucking straight, now that you can have the multiple posts linked together, like some of those are incredible and they take a, a shit ton of homework, mm-hmm. right? But you're yes. putting it right there in a way that's palpable for people to grab useful sources of information that's backed all right in front of themselves so that it becomes not no longer hearsay or or you know opinion but fact and it's yes. fucking brilliant so thank you i just want to say that like if you're going to follow anybody on x or whatever the fuck you want to call it 
right here. This, these are the guys. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. That's actually how we got connected. I think I shot you a cold DM and that's how we got on, got on your radar, which is really cool. But yeah, we basically discovered that there are just like a handful of stories that really tell why the food system is so fucked. And I think when people follow our account, some people will be like, are you guys optimistic about the food system? And it's like, we're hopeful all day long. But the first step in reclaiming your health is really understanding the history of how we've kind of gotten things so ass backwards. And then you can make the change from understanding that history. So it's like, I mean, you could tell this way better than me, but I feel like a lot of it stems from incentives that were kind of negatively skewed after World War II, whether it's like fertilizer, our chicken production, the industrial beef industry. It's like we basically went from these really localized food systems of like regenerative didn't need to be a term because every farm was just kind of intuitively, intuitively doing regenerative agriculture. And then we really corporatized our food system. And it's like a lose-lose incentive because it's essentially broken the back of the local farmer because farms are now incentivized to get as big as possible. And then us as the consumer, we're also the ones that are on the losing end of that equation because we're essentially forced to eat this like commercialized, industrialized product that's completely sucked and drained of nutrients too. Yeah. It's like when, when I think about the problem, it's like, where do you want to start with it? And I think a lot of it is like this idea of globalized food is in a lot of ways, it, I mean, it, it's a brand new concept, but we're like shipping food. It, it really wasn't a thing until like Columbus started like, uh, like pioneering it, but it, it, we're still in the early phases of like the negative effects of being able to have access to all of this food that we otherwise wouldn't if we were just living out here on this plot of land. In a lot of ways, it's a great thing, but in a lot of ways, it's, it's a terrible thing. Um, and some of the stuff that we learned early on was like, you know, as these cities started to urbanize food sources had to start changing and it like people were flooding into these cities at, uh, magnitudes that they hadn't seen before. So there was a lot of stress on housing. There was a lot of stress on the food, uh, side of the equation in terms of actually supplying these cities with enough food. And what that did over time was actually reduce the quality of food and, we started to cut corners. And I think a lot of the stories that we try to tell is like, we, we cut corners to fix these problems in the food system. And we haven't readdressed like the corners that we cut. And now we're having these negative health consequences because of it. And one of the examples that I think of is raw milk. Like we've started pasteurizing milk because urbanization forced us to bring cows closer into the city so that we could distribute more milk to more people. And in that process, we started raising cows in this crazy ass backwards way that's so out of line with nature. You wouldn't like when you read a like a firsthand account of what the cows were living in, you're like, that's not that's not a cow. That's not that's not a healthy cow living in that environment. Like they'll talk about how these cows were literally ass to ass, not moving their entire life, standing in their shit. And then we would milk them for their milk, which was a huge source of nutrition for these cities. And the milk would come out purple because these cows had ulcers all over their body. They were sick. They were dying. And they weren't even eating grass, which is what they're supposed to be eating. So these are sick, sick animals. And then we're trying to feed cities with this sick milk uh, or sick uh, milk from these cows. And the solution to that problem was a short-term fix of pasteurization. But through the process of pasteurization, you're also like eliminating a lot of the positive benefits of pure raw milk, which has enzymes that are incredibly healthy for your gut. Um, you denature the protein. So like the protein that you're actually getting is 
out of relationship with like what your gut is expecting to to get and then you ha- you see like the consequences of that now we have all this like anti-milk lactose intolerant people is because we're not even we've we've stemmed so far from the original source of nutrition right yeah so and then now the new narrative is like you know people can't shouldn't and can't drink milk i'm like this is the most nutrient-rich source of food there is it's it's the perfect it's promised food. in heaven it's, along it's, with with the land, of milk and honey. <laughs> land, of, land of honey as well right like it, they don't, you don't promise milk in heaven if you're lactose intolerant you promise milk in heaven because the world was designed to fucking have it it's totally. one of the it's, it's the very best it's the perfect food yeah we found the, the denaturing thing is funny too because a lot of people they don't they, they kind of hear that in like functional medicine and different, some some different people will talk about it but it's kind of hard to grasp. An egg yolk is one, you know, like oxidation, that kind of thing. The perfect egg is either really soft boiled or it's a raw yolk or it's over very easy or sunny side up or like poached, right? Like you don't want to cook the yolk at all. You want the yolk warm. And a lot of people didn't really understand that. But the truth is if you pay attention, if you have a hard boiled egg that's truly hard boiled and you eat that yolk, you're going to have some GI issues compared to an over easier poached egg like it, and then that's that's why the protein is not designed it's not designed to be heated up to the degree that it is and then when it goes into your body your body says what the fuck is this you know so I, I think I think that's such a big piece on much of the food you guys talked about the the history of chicken in one of your posts and it was mind-blowing I think I forget the president who came out but it was after one of the wars every American should own three chickens that kind of deal and uh you know, and then there was the great race to see who could create the best chicken. You guys remember that post? Yeah, yeah that they, was fucking mind blowing to hear about this. Whether it's like fertilizers, the size of chicken, industrial ag, it's like a lot of this you can start to see trends in the wrong direction happening after World War II. So what happened was World War II, we saw an explosion of chicken growth. I don't know what it was about beef, but they were pushing a ton of chicken during the war, maybe because it was just a cheaper protein. So people were really latching onto it. And so these big producers of chicken and grocery stores were worried that, okay, well, when the men come back from World War II, are they just going to go back to beef and the, the supply of chicken is just going to, the demand for chicken is going to shit the bed. So they created the, the largest grocery store at the time. I don't know. I forget the name of it, but they created this competition of the chicken of tomorrow. So they got all these poultry producers to come in to figure out how do we create like the best, the, the most industrialized, perfect breeding broiler chicken that we could sell at large quantities. So they essentially created a cross of two different breeds that was able to be slaughtered um, way faster. So we're basically eating baby birds now. And it also would able be able to get really fat through corn and soy and then also genetics as well. So the, the size of the chicken that we're eating now is 350% larger than what something like our grandparents or our great-grandparents would have eaten back in the day. And chicken is so interesting because you can at least go to a grocery store if you're going to buy beef. And there are some grass-finished sources where you can verify. It's not great, but chicken, there's literally no way. There's no way. I firmly believe like there's no way to get a good quality bird in a grocery store unless you're like in San Diego and like pasture bird delivers to them. Because even if it's organic, it just means it's fed organic corn and soy, which is not evolutionarily consistent to what the chicken is supposed yeah, to be eating. It doesn't mean it was eating grass and, and primarily insects within that grass to get, you know, the very best 100%. nutrition. It, we, I mean, grow, you, I, I, get, I figured a lot of this out from starting with chickens, just getting into the different breeds and the difference between broilers versus, you know, meat birds versus egg birds. And like, where are there dual purpose birds? And like something you allude to, I think it was Julie Childs in that post. You yes. talk about how back in the day, the chick, the small chicken was, it was a, like an exquisite t- 
taste. It had something to it that was like revered yes. in culinary school where it was like, if you fucking do this bird right, like you're going to wow people. And now chicken is, is the fucking most blandest thing that we're like, oh, that tastes like chicken. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of like chicken. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. like the universal, the thing the Matrix got wrong. Dude, so, the, the way they describe that chicken, I'm like, I've never had chicken like that before where you can just actually taste it and it has flavor. Like most of the chicken I've ever had needs tons of seasoning and it like it doesn't have any flavor on its own. Yeah. It, they talked about like that uh, breed of bird that was uh, in, in the book that you were referencing that like it's a, I don't know what exactly, it's like, is a heritage breed, and it has, like, this insane flavor that Julia Childs was like, if you have this type of bird, it's, like, will blow your mind. Yeah, the quote that she said, to Harry's point, is that chicken should be so good on its own that all it needs is salt, pepper, and butter. And people can't even wrap their heads around that because we're so used to, like, deep frying it or throwing all these crazy seasonings on it. I see these TikTok recipes of people that are literally deep frying it in Doritos just to make it taste better, which is, which is so, which is so, which is so wild. But the book that Harry's referencing, it's called the Dorito effect by Mark Schatzker. He was at, he, we had him on the podcast and the book starts off. It's a husband and a wife. And the husband comes from like a, a chicken, like his, I think his grandpa was like a, a poultry producer and the wife could never make the exact chicken that he wanted. He would always be like, no, nah, it doesn't taste like my grandpa's chicken. And then she finally found some type of like local producer that was like evo- raising cons- chickens the way that they were evolutionarily raised to be made. And when he finally took a bite of that chicken, he literally cried because it brought, it brought back such memories to his grandparents because he was like, that's how the bird is supposed to taste. It's incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. The same thing goes for like banana. You know, you think of it. it I enjoy bananas i I like uh i mean i've had a love-hate relationship with them between being you know strict carnivore or keto it's like oh that's this fucking way too high glycemic index i gotta i gotta i can't mess with that um but then like you know getting involved like when you start to think ancestrally and you think about you know pre-refrigeration pre-shipping and things like that like yeah there was a period of time where all of our ancestors right here if you're from have some northern european ancestry went without it was just harder and there was only big game but there was fucking for damn sure no bananas anywhere within sight Right. And like now we can get that 12 months a year. Right. So that that's it's hard to live seasonally with that. But I do appreciate that. And that's like one of these weird, you know, paradoxes around food where there's a benefit to it. But there's also like the, the, the understanding behind it has to be there. But I bring up bananas because there was something like 102 different delicious, like, you know, not all fr- fruit back in the day. They'll say like it was very fibrous. It wasn't very sweet. Uh, and they, they, you know, through crossbreeding different things, got it to the way that it is and plumpness as well as sugar content. But there's now the bananas you see in stores are one out of those 102 that they decided like Heinz 57 varieties. They tried all the bananas and they said, no, this is going to be the best bang for our buck. So this is the banana that people will know as a banana. That's what we ended up with chicken. This is the chicken that everyone's going to know as chicken. When, whereas before you like even our, our fucking egg layers, we've got like 20 different varieties of egg layers out there, you know, and then we, we still see who does best and we get more of them just for the, for the, for the area. But I think about that. It's like, what what else, what other types that well, you can buy a variety of apples too, but none of them are near where apples used to be. But I think about that with bananas. Like, what did they say no to mm. from yeah. bananas? Because in our backyard, we grow ice cream banana and we grow uh, these little baby bananas, the tiny ones. They haven't fruited yet and probably won't because the, it freezes every year. So unless warming is true and we go without freeze a freeze one winter, you know, I don't think we're going to ever get fruit on there. But I, I'm super curious to taste a different banana. I'm super curious. I've been I've been chatting with our, with our homie Tucker Max, who did his own meat oh, birds, yeah. Freedom Ranger birds. And um, my buddy, Jesse Elder, out in Bastrop, same thing. He's doing 
meat birds. It says, Freedom Ranger, he's like, you haven't had a chicken until you have a regenerative meat bird from this breed. Like, it's just in a fucking league of its own. He's like, you haven't had lamb yet. You haven't had sheep yet until you eat your own regenerative lamb. Like, that's a whole, I'm not, I, I, I still haven't yet, right? We're two yeah. years into this, you know? I'm like, yeah. fumbling around and fucking making mistakes and falling flat on our face and learning from it. And it's like, damn, dude, like, this is, this is exciting times. Yeah. You, uh, you just reminded us that we have a, a frozen bird from Tucker, one of those freedom ones that <laughs> Maybe, we, yeah. need to, we need to make. <laughs> Maybe that's what we do is we have you over the house and we just make one of yeah. those meat birds or yeah. something like that. <laughs> that and see, how, see how good it is. But that was what he said. So he's got four little kids and then his wife. And they said that the first time he, Tucker had sourced a bird from Jesse, he just cooked it how Jesse recommended, very minimally seasoned. And his family literally devoured it. Like they were thought they were going to cut it up and serve it on plates. And they like, literally just went in with their hands and like destroyed the entire bird, like carcass and all, basically. And yeah. he was like, all right, there's clearly something to this. <laughs> the kid right? was like a zombie. <laughs> yeah, if you pat, that's, a, that's the other thing. When you can pass the kid's palate test, you know, without argument, yeah. like there's a clear victory there. Yeah. You know, like there's no, there's, there's like, there's no bullshit in the kid's taste buds. Like yeah. they know what, what they want. They know what they don't want, you know? A hundred percent. Kyle, what? To your point about the bananas, it's so crazy. I'm I'm sure that they weren't selecting for uh, like taste when it came comes to the bananas. They're selecting for like profitability, shelf life, like all of these characteristics. That how fast do they come to fruit? How long is the tree going to live? A hundred percent. It's like all these things that don't necessarily benefit the end consumer, but just help the people on the other end make the most money off it. Which obviously is understandable, but it, it's like the same thing does apply to chickens. Like that there's one company that owns 100% of the genetics of chickens, which is insane. insane. But that's, I mean, I guess that's just genetics of chickens that end up in the grocery store. Even, even like, yeah, exactly. Nuts. But even, the, even the, the, the market, like I had Daniel Griffith on the podcast a couple of times and he said, you know, the, um, the consumer's palate must change. The American consumer's palate must change. It's mm-hmm. different in Europe and Argentina and different places, you know, uh, certainly in Brazil. But... We're used to black Angus and it has to have a, like a 550 pound hang weight with a certain amount of fat mm-hmm. percentage on it. Like a, there's standards, minimum standards when you go to sell that thing to anybody, to a restaurant, to, to a grocery store. It has to meet those standards from one breed of cow. It's fucking bizarre, right? Same kind of deal. Like this is what hamburger is. This is what a steak is. And it's really not, right? Like there's so many, you look into cows. Like I got neighbors on the West here that have Hereford. And they're gorgeous, mm. you know? And then this guy's got all sorts of shit. There's the black buck running in the background yeah. right behind us. Oh, look at him go. All the ladies. <laughs> Where's the guy? There's one trialing up the rear, <laughs> yeah. baby. Let's go. There Get he em. is. <laughs> and a boy. We got two that turned black. So we're going to be doing a little fight to see who's head honcho. But, oh, I love that. Um, most people don't understand that. You know, it's like, it's kind of like the, and I've used this before, like you're born with the tech and you assume the tech's already been there. You know, like, a, I, you know, kids know how to use an iPad and this is the way it always was. It's like, no, no, this shit came mm. out, you know, when I was a teenager, right? Like there was life before an iPad. There was life before cordless stuff. Like the phone used to be attached to the wall and you could only walk so far as that cord stretched. You know, then we got cordless phones and not even to get into EMF and all that shit, but that was a thing for a while, mm-hmm. right? Like that was a really cool thing. And the first... The first cell phones were in cars. They were car phones, you know? Like, if you backtrack far enough, you can start to imagine the world a little differently. But we can't, because we've been fed one type of thing, like, this is beef. You know, like, and Food Inc. does a good job of kind of illustrating that. Like, it's packaged in a certain way. That's a disconnect from the process of harvesting an animal, which, which 
to me is a spiritual thing. Like I'm taking something's life to give me life and to yes. provide life for my family, you know? And that doesn't have to be that way for everybody, but that's, you know, it, it is that. It's touching, it's fucking, it's intimate and it's, and it's a thousand different things that are hard to explain all at the same time. Some things, you know, paradoxically opposed, but it's all of those things. And when it's just packaged as ribeye, then it's like, oh, that's just ribeye, you know? And yeah. I have to explain to my three-year-old daughter, I'm like, that's a cow. Mm-hmm. These, chi- you know, these gluten-free uh, chicken nuggets from Thai Fresh, you know, that are, that yes. are, that are free range, that's a chicken, right? Those are your buddies you pick up at my house, you know, when we, mm-hmm. go, to, when we go to the farm. This is, this, is, this is chicken. Yeah. You know, like, and to really let her connect those dots. And she'll still say, you know, like, no, no, don't. Are you, are you going to eat the deer? Yeah, I'm going to hunt the deer at some point. Don't eat the deer. You know? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I love the deer, but the deer, if we don't eat them, will overrun this place. Mm-hmm. We won't be able to regenerate the land. You know, like, that has to be kept in balance. Yes. Yeah, it makes you realize just um, just how disconnected we actually are. And it makes you also appreciate that where we are right here in Texas, like we're fortunate, like we do live in a bubble where like any of us, if we ever needed beef or chicken or whatever we needed, we could we probably have 10 plus buddies individually that could source us beef from that. And I remember thinking the first time, thinking it was so wild to actually go out to a ranch and source all my all my beef for the year from that one rancher because it's like, we're just so devoid from that connection. We just are, we go to a grocery store, we pick it up, we look at it in the package. We don't even think about where it comes from or even worse, you're going to the inner aisle of the grocery store where there's 30,000 products that are controlled by 12 different companies that are just really thoughtful, unthoughtfully combining corn, wheat, soy, processed sugar. And that's what we think of as food. So it's just, it's so interesting when you have that mental model. Like we posted a video yesterday saying exactly what you just said, where it's like the way you source your food is literally a spirit. It's almost an, a spiritual experience of being like, I'm going to take my hard earned dollars and I'm going to go out to a rancher that's worked so hard to finish this cattle grass finished in the hot Texas conditions, takes it to a, to a butcher processes that for you. And then you almost have an obligation to then go share that meat with your friends and then be able to nourish yourself and then nourish your community that you care about too. But we don't think about it like that. Like so many of our friends, you know, when I was living in New York City, it's like, oh, let's just go order Uber Eats or DoorDash and have it dropped off right to our front door. When like the intentionality of sourcing that delicious, nutritious food from a rancher, it's like, I couldn't think of a better way to spend my money and a better way to like share food with the people that I care about. Yeah, I think in the last three years, I've seen, I've been waiting for, you know, the pendulum to come back to the middle, <laughs> you know, and, and as, as things further divide, I've, I've still seen that from a food standpoint, like all the essential businesses, you know, was Uber Eats and McDonald's and all the horse shit, you know, and the last thing on earth you'd want to put in your body if there was a serious plague floating around, mm-hmm. like something actually be dangerous about, you'd want to do, take care of yourself in the tip top way. And all that's still left open. And then, uh, you know, on the other side of this thing, crisis is leading people, you know, much like yours, Mm -hmm. is leading people to this path where they have to find out for themselves because they're not going to learn it from Western medicine. And then they figure out, oh, shit, like that was really the seed that changed for me was was reading How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy by Paul Check. Went through, figured out I was a polar type, started eating more animal, you know, like a higher percentage of fat and protein from animals. And, um... And really cleaning out, you know, all ditching all the processed shit that I was putting on my body. And I was like, I, the difference was so palpable. It was like, I'm a different person when I put good food in my body. And that yes. planted a seed for my entire education in fighting and post. Was, it was like, if one book could do this, mm. what else is in books that I fucking yeah. have just shit on? Because I got out of college and I'm like, I'm never reading a book again. You know, totally. like, it's just fucking crazy. But crisis will put us in that position. So I, 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 I feel like there is a sense of, 
I have a sense of trust that things will auto balance mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form because this other direction is doomed to fail. Yeah. 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 When you look at the pharmaceutical model of healthcare, it's like, what, 88% of people are metabolically unhealthy and the rise of obesity and all these chronic diseases is basically unfathomable to most, most people. And then you look at the cost to support that. It's like, how are we going to do this? Like tax everyone until like they just like are servants to the government and half of their income or more than half their income is going towards just like keeping people alive who are sick to begin with. It's like this system is, is failing. Like it, we're at the point of failure. And I, I don't think, I think COVID woke a lot of people up, but there we're like kind of, I almost passed like uh, the point of we need to really start working on this. Um, and the people who see it and like want to make the change happen, I think are taking action, but a lot of people are still trapped in like the, the sick world. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I think it's, it's a, uh... You know, I try to avoid words like sheep. Aubrey had a great uh, podcast recently with um, Bobby Kennedy, uh, and it was here in Austin. It was their second one, and we were fortunate enough to be there at the dinner and the podcast, and it was great. You know, and he's like, you know, it's kind of like we're all one or none type, you know, deal. Like Bronner's, and you know, Bronner's was, of course, given $1,000 to employees to go get the jab, which is, you know, it kind of goes against the organic ethos they were founded on. But side note that um, thinking about that, you know, in terms of like, you know, the 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 name calling or the looking at lesser than, you know, it, it, it is a tempting, tempting thing, you know, to call someone a sheep. It is a tempting thing. I've used the word muggle in the past, you know, or it's like, they just don't know any better. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just muggles, you know? Um, but general population can suffice, right? And the the general population is still the majority, unfortunately, you know, and and then that doesn't matter what politics you believe in, right? There's still the vast majority of, of any political party is still general population from health, health standards. And um, there is a push to train the minds of these people to eat a certain way. And we see that now, this full court press, and there's plenty of books that'll point this out. I've talked with it, about it before. I am determined, I'm gonna have Seamus Bruner on the podcast. He's the author of the book, Controligarchs. All of chapter five, it, it nauseatingly details every fucking point of what these guys have, have funded from a business perspective, from you know, uh, Gates's fake eggs to, uh, you know, we were, we were, I was talking to you guys at the beginning about this post that I just watched on cell-based meat. And if you're in Europe, you're going to be able to eat it later this year. And how 20, 20 I got to pull it up here just so I don't fuck this up. But it is funny because I, I really believe they just shoot themselves in the foot when it comes to this stuff. This looks around, I'll link to this in the show notes so everybody gets a chance to see it. 20% of lad meat is FBS, fetal bovine serum extract, when the fetus is still alive. So this is great. Now, when I kill an animal, my goal is to be as efficient as possible, to, to make it go as humanely as possible. And I pray with that animal and I give it all of my love and intention and I honor it by eating as much of it as humanly possible and taking the parts that I can eat and using that further. You know, we've got a bison skull from a female that we harvested out at our buddy's place at Rome Ranch. She's on our altar. Like she's been with us in ceremony. She's, she's there. Like we honor as much as we can. This is the, the, the fetal bovine serum is drain, blood drained from a calf fetus and the blood is drained from the heart of unborn calves via cardiac puncture. That's a syringe. So this baby is inside mama. They harvest mom and then the needle goes in right into the heart of this baby that's gonna die anyways and they suck out the blood and that's 20% to create the stem cells necessary for cell-based meat. They also don't dive into 
the carbon footprint this has. When you look at the size of a fucking lab that's 3D printing meat, and that just goes out the window. It's like, well, we don't worry about lithium mining. We don't worry about, you know, the cost of the batteries, the solar, all of these things. We just say, this is how we get off the grid. And it's like, but we're not off the grid. And I have solar and I'm going to, and I'm going to, you know, vote with my dollar to push that industry, but it's not a clean energy yet. You know, like this isn't a clean alternative to food. And the thing is the facts have already been there when we understand like books like the soil will save us been out since 2017, I think maybe 2016. Um, documentaries like kiss the ground later this week aren't you guys going to go to the common ground premiere it's the fifth right yeah i think yeah. it's wednesday yeah, yeah, Fuck we'll, be yeah. There. we'll see you guys yeah, there it's going to be dope um you know rylan Engelhart, who was a lifelong vegan and now an into regenerative and eats meat uh at the cost of many death threats and and you know a lot of issues uh in his vegan cafes but the conditioning that's done through manipulating the culture with paid science with with a variety of things to to shift us in a certain direction it's never been higher, right? The propaganda has never been higher. And the push towards insects, the push towards cell-based meat, lab-grown meat, 3D-printed meat, you name it. It's like the answer was here all along. We can sequester carbon for 500 fucking years. If that is the issue, we can do that. No problem with regenerative agriculture. And at the same time we do that, we heal the soil, which heals the grasses, which heals the animals, which heals us. Did we leave anything out? And it pulls carbon out of the air. Like, yeah. is there no part of the system that doesn't improve from that? So why do we keep fishing for these other things? Well, as Rob Wolf put out, there's boatloads of money to be made there, right? There's boatloads of money to be made in these things. So, I mean, I, I'm, you guys are on the front lines of, uh, of this with Meat Mafia. What, do you, what irks you when you look at all these different things? And do you think, like, I, I mean, like, I remember when the Cricket Company came out, I think Exo, something like that, I forget the name of it. Um, I ate a couple of the bars. I ate crickets when I was in Thailand in a, in a bag, you know, like fried in peanut oil or whatever. It tastes like French fries. I'm like, this is cool. When I went in Rome, you know, I'm at a street market in Thailand. I'll fucking eat a bag of crickets. I was grossing my dad out while I was doing it. And I was like, this ain't, this ain't bad, you know? It's yeah. not, it's never going to replace meat. Yeah. But I get it. Good, good ratios here, you know? It's, it's, it follows in the carnivore, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's meat based. Um, but it's no replacement for the thing that heals the earth. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't. Yeah, yeah, I think what really irks us, there's that amazing mini documentary. I think we were talking about this last week when I came out here called Nourish by Heart and Soil. And it talks all about why women, particularly pregnant moms, need animal products to, to have a really healthy baby. And so the most impactful part of that whole documentary is that there's a doula somewhere in Texas and she shows you two placentas. The one placenta is the mother that followed an animal-based diet versus the mother that followed a uh, yeah, plant-based diet versus animal-based mother. The plant-based placenta was this really dull pink-like color, like devoid of nutrients. It looked gross. It was like, it was smaller. And then you see the placenta of the animal-based mom and it's like this big, dark, like ruby-rich color. So what I think what irks me is is a lot, I think 83% of people that go plant-based are women and they're being like nutritionally psyoped into thinking that this is the best thing for their nutri- to, for, for their bodies, for the planet, for the environment, the morality of the animals. And it's actually like, it's not just affecting those moms, like it's, it's sapping the life out of the moms, but then it's then affecting their children too. So I think that's what's really frustrating where like you mentioned the crickets, dude, you have every right to go eat crickets or try a plant-based diet or do a carnivore diet. It's like, just don't try and suppress my access to these products. Like part of the reason why I got out of New York is, I was seeing these things about C40 cities, how they're literally tracking like the meat consumption and the carbon consumption of an individual citizen in New York. And I'm like, it's just so crazy because 
I can't function without eating a primary red meat diet. It's like, what do you want me to do? Not eat this thing and be back shitting blood 30 times in the hospital or, or literally being dead? Well, if you so, tracked it far enough too, you'd understand that, that your participating in a, in a mostly red meat diet is the thing that's necessary to fucking heal the earth and bring the carbon down. A hundred percent. So like, that's, that's like, you know, and I understand, like I'm going to deep dive this with Seamus on C40 cities, uh, smart grid cities, 15 minute cities. Austin's one of the first, you know, to, to raise their hand and say, pick us, pick us. So mm -hmm. they're in on the first thousand, uh, good time to get out of Austin and live near it. Uh, hence us building out here in Lockhart. But, but when you think about these things, like it, it's it's cherry, it's literally fucking cherry picking data yes. to say like oh here's a part of the problem even in, you know like a, I had Diana Rogers on to your point on kids forty in in Africa they showed the study in Africa where everyone's poor some people are a little less poor than the other poor mm -hmm. the slightly less poor can eat meat two or three days a week those kids performed forty to fifty percent better on everything scholastically and athletically anything that you would judge or weigh a kid's merit on as a student. 40 to 50% better across the fucking board than the kids that could only afford plants, mm. right? So, so we know, we know how this affects kids, right? Mm -hmm. And when you look at like the, the, the C40 piece, like you're, you're literally cherry picking what it is. And they talk about this in The Sacred Cow with Rob Wolf and Diana Rogers, how it's a closed loop cycle. And I'm sure uh, Saladino gets into this. I haven't seen mm -hmm. the mini documentary yet, but I'm positive he gets into this because he's spoken about it probably until he's got steam coming out of his ears. That, that if you're only looking at, you know, the, the methane coming out of a car, uh, cow's burp, you're not looking about how the, it's a closed loop and mm -hmm. it cycles back. That, that methane breaks into carbon. That carbon comes back to the soil via the plants, via an active living soil that wants it to grow, that needs mm -hmm. it to grow. And it's literally going to breathe it in just as our trees breathe it in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it's actually unbelievable too, just the amount of resistance that the whole uh, and I, it's starting to break, but the resistance to the regenerative movement and just like meat based uh, nutrition movement from the scientific community, just on the idea that you need like studies to support certain things, yeah. like just the pace at which the scientific community comes around to things, and also just like the confusion within the scientific community that they're able to propagate is is amazing. Like they're they're able to like steer everyone in the wrong direction based on like one study and a lot of times when you like time prevails you look back on that study and there was a lot of things that just didn't add up or make sense or who, who funded it i just yeah, had cali like, means on it was a former coca-cola exec and he talked about that you know, they were tasked either from fda or nih to run their own study on was there a link between sugary beverages and childhood obesity and childhood diabetes nothing to see here Right? That's what they found. Yep. Bullshit. Yeah. Of course they're going to find nothing to see here. You know what I'm getting at? And then yeah. the link is is absolutely undeniable. Totally. Well, I believe God is the, the best scientist of all time. And I think the way that you guys are doing things here is in line with nature, how nature would act on its own. And our role as, as people is to, as you said, with the hunting aspect of it, is to moderate this interaction with nature in a way where we all live together with it and i think we've just gotten so far away from that model of just like being a part of this this natural world we're now living in cities that aren't designed for humans to thrive people are getting less sunlight people are staying indoors all the air pollution light pollution noise pollution it's affecting us negatively and then you look you look around and people are sick and you wonder why it's it's like 
I just think that we can make this whole issue a lot simpler if we look at the two frames, which is like the scientific frame that needs all these small details and answers to make a decision or this bigger frame, which is like if we actually just treat everything out here on the land with love in a way that we're caring for the soil, caring for the animal, caring for ourselves, that's when we can actually create a healthy food system. Yeah, I think you touched on a really good point about how the people that are funding and the incentives behind a lot of these peer-reviewed studies really do matter too. And if someone has enough money and incentive behind something, they can prove anything that they want. Like there could be a, they could, if they want to create a peer-reviewed study telling you why mineral water is terrible for you, they will find a way to do that and people will believe it. And I think what encourages us is the way that people are starting to lean into the power of anecdote through podcasting, social media, like this open source of information where people are saying, look, I don't need a peer reviewed study to tell me that red meat is good or bad for me. I just look at all these people that follow this diet and they're curing things that are quote unquote incurable. And then they take that kind of a step further and they're like, you know what? I'm going to actually go out to a regenerative ranch and see things for myself. You go out to white oak pastures, you go out here, wherever, and you see this like beautiful biomimicry of the animals. And then you see people like Rome Ranch that scientists and experts were telling them, hey, it's going to take you 30 years to regenerate this land. It's barren. It's a piece of shit. They, they incorporate a pack of bison through regenerative practices on there. And there were literally hundreds of new species. And they did what scientists told them could only be accomplished in 30 years and like four or five years. I think maybe it was even less than that too. So I think we need to figure, we need to lean into the power of anecdote versus just trusting these peer-reviewed studies blanketed. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, you know, with what, what they did at Rome Ranch. And Rome Ranch, of course, is, is a major supplier and, you know, sister company to Force of Nature products, which you can get at Whole Foods and all over the place, uh, Sprouts. Um, when you regenerate the land, you cushion yourself against all the fucking wild swings in nature, right? So like uh, a really good regenerative ranch is wet. It's in the, the everything there is going to hold more water because the soil is active and alive. The hummus is there. And that cushions you against wildfires, hmm. right? We've seen there's a, I've had a few different people on this podcast. My dad was actually, he hasn't been the podcast yet, but in the Santa Cruz fires, he lives in the Santa Cruz mountains in Boulder Creek. His five acres were untouched. Like, oh, you know, the wind took it a different direction, that hmm. kind of thing. No, he's been regenerating his land for a decade. So hit the, the fire missed his place, yes. right? Um, where uh, Jared Picard is on the podcast, he said a good portion of his land got burnt down and where they're really heavy and regenerative, it did not. Hmm. You know, and then for, for Rome Ranch, they had, you know, during the snowpocalypse, it was the, the, the coldest, longest cold stretch in like 100 years, 100-year winter storm. And they all do low fence there. And so a lot of Axis deer made their way onto the land. A lot of whitetail made their way onto the land. And because the soil is so active, it was 10 degrees warmer than the surrounding pastures. So animals that were caught on other people's land froze to death mm. and the animals that were able to huddle together on their land, on their active soil, survived. Mm. Like That's shit where you're like, we, we, this is a part of the conversation as well, right? Like this speaks to beyond the benefit, the benefit for all things. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the regenerative, just getting closer to some of these farmers who are doing things the right way has been the most eye-opening experience. And I think that for Brett and I, like both of us are suburban or like city boys and i think at first we were like i wonder how these guys are gonna like think of us like coming on their property yeah. and like wanting Yankees. to have pod yeah, yeah, like yeah. wanting to like have a podcast with them and uh i think at the end of it we've realized that like they feel like their voices and their efforts to actually produce really high quality food is the thing that they want people to hear the most they want people to see like the work that they're doing is something that can be replicated i think will harris says it it's like 
is this scalable? No, but it's replicatable. And like, if you want to do this model out here in Lockhart or out in Bastrop or out in wherever you are, you can do it. You just have to follow our model. And so seeing just how, how they work and how they operate, like, and, and, uh, their connection to like their purpose is, is pure. Like if you're, if you're in a city, I don't think you see that all that often. Someone who's just so connected to their purpose and why they want to do something. And, And these guys are like, just so set on putting the best food out there they possibly can and doing it the right way. So, and you too, it's like, it's so cool being able to connect with people who are just doing stuff the right way. Fuck yeah. Well, we are running short on time. I definitely want to know, you know, I want to, I want to find out more about Noble because for a long time I was talking to my assistant and I was like, I really want to fucking create something that, that combines a lot of these things that, that, you know, people don't necessarily eat, but is the, the, the utmost importance of the best, mm. highest quality nutrition that's going to be tasty, that you don't have to fucking stomach it oddly. You can actually look forward to having it. And uh, I remember right when you guys came out with this stuff, I was like, oh, this, there, there it is. Yeah. Someone did it. Yeah. Someone fucking did it. So talk about, talk about the formation of Noble and, and the idea behind the brand and what you guys have created. Yeah, it's, it's come together pretty quickly. And I think, you know, when we, st- we were starting the show, I think we've, what we've learned is that the podcast and the media company is kind of our contribution of just interviewing people and sharing knowledge. And Noble is an actual physical, tangible product that's like in line with our exact principles on nutrition, regenerative agriculture, something that someone can choose and use to fuel their body. So for us, you know, Harry and I had a whiteboarding session because we were getting two big questions from our audience. The first question was just, where can I source really good quality meat? And the second was always like, what supplements or protein powder recommendations do you have? With some of my autoimmune issues, just a lot of the products out there didn't really seem like it was up to our standard. So we said, well, we could keep affiliating for another brand or we could really just like create something that's in line with our principles. So on that whiteboarding session, we said, okay, what were the products that we used? One, to heal myself and also like just get us in the best shape that we could be in. It was a combination of beef. It was grass-fed organs. It was colostrum. It was raw milk. And then it was, you know, collagen through, through bone broth. We're like, well, can we create something where you get all those things in a single scoop? I think we can. So we just went on this process of doing a bunch of R&D research. And that's really what we came out with with Noble was just a very easily accessible and also delicious way to get all those things into a single scoop. So the nice part about our protein powder is that it's an all-in-one. So you're getting beef protein isolate, full grass-fed organ complex. All the micronutrients from the organs, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, and I'm still, you know, like my kids started off with beef liverwurst, which is like 20% liver, 20% kidney, 10% heart, 50% beef trim, all regenerative. That was the first thing that their palate took on other than mom's milk, right? So like they're used to it. They love it. They have it five days a week probably, you know, and they Mm -hmm. might have some, some, you know, grain-free pancakes with it and some maple syrup, whatever, but they're getting the things they need. And, and, and the truth is, I don't think even in a tribal setting that kids got that Mahaya organ meat content, right? So like they're, they're uniquely there, but most people self-included, like I'll, I'll guinea pig with Saladino when he's in town. He's a guy with the Pyrex and he's always like, Hey, eat these testicles. You want to have some spleen? Yeah. Here's some thymus, you know? And I'm like, I'll try it. But it's never like something where I'm going to go out of my way to find that and eat it. It just doesn't taste good. So like have it, the supplement form is a critical way for people to bridge the gap. Yeah. And our thought process too is like, if you have acts, we're not saying drink noble versus like eating beef or getting grass-fed organs from a local farmer. If you can do that, that's always the priority. But at the end of the day, life is going to get in the way. So if you have something that's easy to drink where the nutrients are still preserved, that's an amazing way to incorporate it. So it's like, maybe you take a scoop of the chocolate in, in your morning coffee with some raw milk or some cream or something like that, where you're getting 20 servings of beef protein directly from the muscle tissue of the cow. 
and some organs in there too. A lot of times what I'll do is I'll take a scoop of the red bag, which is just pure organs and mix it with a scoop of the protein, raw milk, some egg yolks after a workout or even before a workout. And you feel absolutely amazing. And what I'm passionate about is like, how do we get your two kids drinking this stuff consistently? How do I get my mom or my sister who probably won't eat raw organs right now, but if I can get them something that tastes really good, that's an amazing bridge product where eventually they're like listening to your podcast that maybe they're eventually going out to a farm and sourcing their beef. You have to kind of meet people where they're at and realize that this whole journey that we're talking about really is a progression. And that was the inspiration for Noble. The, the, the inspiration for Noble wasn't like, oh, how do I get Kyle drinking this all the time? It's like, no, dude, how do we get like our mom and our sister and like people that aren't as into it to really start that journey? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things I think about too with what we're doing is, you know, there is a bit of diminishing returns with like a lot, like some of the um, stuff when it comes around like to organs specifically, like you don't necessarily need to like max out on organs, but most people are so nutrient deficient in so many different ways that they're not even close to the optimal level at, at some of these uh, nutrient markers. So if you can supplement a little bit of that with a product like this or getting fresh organs, which is better, then you can start to actually reach that point of optimization and start feeling great um, and find that balance. Like, uh, you know, there's, there's a balance where you are optimal and you can kick ass and wake up without feeling tired. And I think most people are just living that nutrient deprived life. So just a little bit can go a long way. Yeah. One, one of the coolest things just to close out on that is, you know, so many people when they eat standard American diet, whether it's pizza, whatever, they literally feel like they have to pass out under their desk. <laughs> so many of the honest like customer testimonials we'll get will be like, I'll take a scoop of this stuff. And I literally feel like a pulse of energy after I take it. So that's such an interesting mental construct to think about of like, we're so used to getting tired after our foods, but what if our, what if the food you eat actually gives you like a surge of energy to go live a more badass life? Like, what could that look like for you if you do that for a year? That's what gets us so excited because everything we're doing with the podcast, it's because we got our health under control. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, I'm inspired. I've loved uh, being a part of this rocket ship ride alongside you guys. It's been awesome to watch and, uh, and, and just a, a wealth of information. So again, we'll link to, to your podcast, uh, y'all social, highly encourage people to follow, listen to you guys there. And, and um, it's just an excellent way. I, 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 that's one thing I've appreciated about social media for as much as I can't stand it. It's introduced me to awesome people, specifically Twitter, and also I've been able to, to learn really cool shit, you know, like really cool shit in a short beef. It's just like, all right, how do I skew the algorithm to fucking make sure that this is educational and, you know, just some fucking young chick or whatever else, but uh, doomsday shit. But uh, it's been awesome having you guys on. We'll for sure do this again, and I appreciate both of you. Dude, appreciate you more. Thanks, Kyle.